0: So our scripture reading, if they haven't been long enough, is even longer today. Uh, admittedly, partly because I just, I'm getting so tired of this story of Absalom. Uh, and we are not done. Uh, next week is sort of the cleanup of all of it. Uh, but we have been looking at Absalom and his, uh, his rebellion. Uh, in one sense, his rebellion against his father in a larger sense, his rebellion against the king, the anointed king of Israel, and therefore his rebellion against all of God's people, Israel. Uh, but the reality is we're looking at his rebellion against God himself. And uh, and we come nearly to the end of the matter today. We at least come to the end of Absalom today. Uh, and there's no... No easy way to cover the passage, and, uh, and I don't want to uh, skip over reading any of it, because if you're going to be shorted on anyone's words, you should probably be shorted on my words and not on God's words. So, uh, stand if you are able, sit if you need a rest, but well, we'll read uh, from chapter 18 through the 8th verse of chapter 19. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, "'You shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. "'If half of us die, they will not care about us. "'But you are worth 10,000 of us. "'Therefore it is better that you send us from the city.' "'The king said to them, "'Whatever seems best to you, I will do.' "'So the king stood at the side of the gate "'while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David And the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak. And his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth, "'while the mule that was under him went on. "'And a certain man saw it and told Joab, "'Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak.' "'Joab said to the man who told him, "'What, you saw him? "'Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? "'I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt.' "'But the man said to Joab, "'Even if I felt in my hand "'the weight of a thousand pieces of silver,' I would not reach out my hand against the king's son for in our hearing the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai for my sake protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand if I had dealt treacherously against his life and there is nothing hidden from the king then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said I will not waste my time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained them. And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, every one to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And it is called Absalom's monument to this day. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall, not, you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that there will, you will have no reward for this news? Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall, and when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and told the king, and the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. The watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gate and said, See another man running alone. The king said, He also brings news. The watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, All is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against the Lord, the, my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahimaaz answered, When... Joab sent the king's servant, your your servant. I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite came. And the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, O my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, Absalom my son. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, The king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face, And the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go... Not a man will stay with you this night, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, and all the people came before the king. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated now, as we've looked at these passages, uh, this one could probably be broken down also uh, by sort of character or or people involved. We could look at Absalom and Joab and Ahimaaz and David. but I think the simplest way to uh, break down the passage is to simply look at the death of Absalom, and then the reactions to the death of Absalom. It's interesting that the author of 2 Samuel says more about the setup to the battle than he does about the battle. Uh, just two verses about the actual battle itself. Uh, the chapter revolves really around Absalom, even though Absalom is very passive. Uh, notice he says nothing in this passage. Everything happens to him. Uh, but the author wants to focus us. He's not giving us details of the battle itself, but he focuses in on Absalom himself. You know, Hushai was right about one thing when he, uh, when he sort of tricked David into not attacking or tricked Absalom into not attacking David right away. David was indeed a seasoned and trained warrior and commander. Uh, he, with the amount of time he had left uh, that Hushai had, got, had earned for him, uh, he organized his men. He sets up three commanders over the battle, divides his men in thirds. He himself is prepared to go in battle, but uh, so dedicated are his men uh, that they would rather die than see him die. Uh, they would they see the value in David being protected as the rightly anointed king of Israel, and and they would rather see half of their own army killed than David killed, and so he uh, he concedes, and as his army is heading out under the three. Uh, leaders Joab and Abishai, Joab's brother, and Ittai, the uh, the Gittite, the, uh, uh, the really the Philistine, who had come uh, to Israel for protection and care. He he gives them one final command as they leave. Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. Now we're going to return to this command a little bit later, uh, but interestingly. The author, this is the only verbal command that David gives, or at least that the author sees worthy of recording. And so it's, there's a significance to this command that we see as we read on. It's the last thing he leaves you with as he sets the stage, as he sets the stage for the battle. And then the battle itself just covers uh, six verses, or two verse, three verses, six to eight. We learn about the place. It's fought in the forest of Ephraim. We learn about the result. The men of Israel are defeated by the servants of David. We learn about the casualties. It's awful. 20,000 men died in this battle. Uh, And then we learn just an interesting note. Because of the terrain, because of where the battle was fought, actually more men died because of the forest than died uh, in the actual battle, in the actual sword and arrows. they. Uh, now, this isn't to say that the, you know, this isn't like, a, I know what you're thinking. Uh, it's not, they did not come alive. It was not, you know, that, I don't even remember the name of the forest uh, but it was not that living, awful forest in Lord of the Rings that like consumed all the orcs overnight. Uh, This was just uh, the place that the battle occurred uh, was treacherous. And we learn just how treacherous it is uh, when we uh, hear about uh, Absalom and his death. And as many of you here at Hope of Christ, as your vocations or your former vocations have taught you, Uh, No plan survives, first contact with the enemy. And so here's Absalom. He's somehow divided from his men. He finds himself alone facing a group of uh, David's servants. I don't know whether he's attacking or fleeing. We're not even told that, but he's on a mule. And in his haste, this mule uh, runs over under uh, probably what in the south would be called a living oak those oak trees that are just growing wild and uncontrollable and their branches come down low and some of the branches of these trees in in south carolina the branches themselves are bigger than most trees any of us have seen and so he somehow uh rides and gets wedged into the wedge of this branch these branches uh, it's, it would be cartoonish if it wasn't horrific but the the mule has more sense than to stick around and off he, she trots. Uh, and and Absalom is left uh, suspended, whether it was from his beautiful flowing locks of hair that caught caught or that amazing, beautiful image, his whole head that was on every poster of every teenage Israelite girl throughout the land. Uh, either way, he is caught by his head Maybe unconscious, maybe not, but very much alive. He is unable to free himself. It's an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it, in verse 9. He is suspended between heaven and earth. He's no longer on earth, but he has not been received in heaven. It is language of abject humiliation and rejection. He is rejected by earth and not received into heaven. It is intentionally uh, uh, graphic imagery. He hangs cursed in a tree, dying perhaps, but not dead. The exchange between the unnamed soldier and Joab is interesting, or at least it's interesting to the author. Again, he he spends more time talking about this conversation than he did talking about the entire battle. You know, under normal circumstances of war, the reality is that it would have been nearly impossible to carry out David's commands. In the heat of war, it would have been almost impossible to spare one particular person's life during the battle. And yet it seems that here, David's servants are being given the very opportunity to to honor David's command. Deal gently with the usurper. But it's interesting, isn't it? In verse 11, Joab is is aghast. He's shocked that this guy would do this. I know what you're going to want to ask, and I don't know. I don't know why Joab thinks a belt would really sweeten the deal. I don't know. That does seem a little strange to me as well. There's some things in the Bible that you're just like, oh, and a belt. (laughs) Done. So anyway, but the guy says... You know, even if, I had, even if I had the thousand, a thousand pieces of silver in my hands, I would not do this thing. And he's both because, both out of a sense of obedience to his king, but also because he knows Joab. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do that, and you're going to have my back? Yeah, I, I sell stories. I don't buy them. He knows what Joab is like. But Joab doesn't deny it. He simply grows bored of the conversation. He says, I'm done with this. He goes and finds Absalom, grabs three javelins and pierces him. And then he allows his own soldiers to finish him off. Verses 16 to 18 show us uh, ironically that what Ahithophel predicted about David's death becomes true of Absalom's death. With the treasonous rebel dead, Joab knows that there is no need to continue the battle. And so he blows the horn and he calls the men back and he calls off the entire war. He says, we're done. This was all that was needed. And he's right. All of the rest of Israel returned to their homes. As the servants of David come past the deceased Absalom, they take his body down from the tree, throw it into a pit, and then throw stones over it. It is really the final sign of the curse and rejection of Absalom. It is the intentional, uh, it is intentional language of rejection. Uh, if you remember back in, in, in Joshua, when, when Achan uh, is found to have stolen goods from Jericho, he is stoned And then buried under a heap of stones. It's a sign of being cursed and rejected. We're told that this fancy pillar that Absalom had set up for himself, that he thought would be his legacy, will not be. Absalom is buried under a heap of stones in an unmarked grave in the forest. The usurper, the rebel, is dead. The only question is, how will David react? The reactions to the death of Absalom are many. Mostly we want to see what David's reaction was, but you certainly have to take some time to look at Ahimaaz, one of the two uh, priest sons who were part of the underground uh, sort of information gathering and getting information to David while he was... uh, in exile, this man is excited. David's been delivered. God has delivered him from his enemies. He wants to uh, be—he wants to be the once more the messenger who's been bringing news. Now he wants to bring the good news. He considers it good news. Verse nineteen, he, sa- he says, "This is great news. The Lord has delivered David from the hand of his enemies." But Joab seems to know better. Joab knows that. This is going to be mixed good news at best because David's son is dead. Joab can remember the man who boasted to David in 2 Samuel 1 that Saul was dead. David had him executed for his lack of reverence for the anointed. And then in 2 Samuel 4, the two men who killed Ishbosheth. The Saul's son, who sought to take the kingdom from David, the two men who boasted about his death were executed. How will David respond when it's not his enemy or the son of his enemy? It's actually his own son who you're coming to tell him it's good news that this guy's dead. And so Joab sends a, a foreigner, a Cushite. But Ahimaaz is, I don't know, persistent whiny, obstinate, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? He, he keeps pushing and pushing, and Joab is, like, Joab is like any father, isn't he? Fine, run, just leave. And so he does. He finds a shortcut. Uh, he finds a way to run that would get him there faster, takes him more directly. Again, when he gets there, he assumes he's bringing very good news to the king. Verse 28, All is well. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against the Lord the King. Does David feel relief? Does he feel joy? Does he feel gratitude? Does he feel any sense of like loss over the 20,000 Israelites who have just died? None of that. Is it well with the young man Absalom? And it is only now that Ahimaaz realizes that Joab may have been on to something. He says, uh, uh, I, uh. I mean, there was a lot going on when I left. I mean, there was a commotion, but I, I, I didn't really see it. I mean, I was running. He's running fast. You saw me. You saw how fast I run. He's like, Well, no problem. There's a Kushite behind you. And again, this Kushite, this foreigner, even recognizes this as only good news. Good news for my Lord the King. Verse 31 The Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. Again, David, oblivious to the good news. Twice now he's had the opportunity to see this as good news. Oblivious, he says the exact same thing. Is it well with the young man Absalom? But this time it's a foreigner. He doesn't really know why the king is asking this. And so he again thinks he's giving him good news. Listen, as far as that guy goes, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be like that guy. Enemies, enemies, all who rise up against you for evil. That is the category of Absalom. And David cannot hear it. He goes up to the room above the gate, weeping, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, Would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. What, What is going on with David? There's at least three things. Probably more. First of all, there is nothing that says this world is broken more than burying a child. There cannot be a worse experience. It is not the way it's supposed to be. No parent should have to face that. It is a sign of the brokenness of this world. No parent should outlive their child. And David has now seen three sons Die. This is a grief that has robbed even Israel's poet king of his eloquence. He has no words right now. All he can do is cry out, my son, Absalom, Absalom, my son. Second David is weeping because the death of Absalom means the end of the day of salvation for Absalom. Absalom's death means there is no opportunity for repentance. You know, we live our lives sometimes, especially when we're young, as though there will be plenty of time to get right with God later. I'm young, you know, these are my high school days, these are my college days. We go off to college and we think, this is my opportunity to sort of, you know, figure out who I am, figure out some things about life, and then I'll come back, you know, when I get married and have kids, I'll settle down and, you know, I got to sow my wild oats while I can. Do you know, God owes nobody one more chance to repent. Repent. Nobody told those 13 Marines and Navy men and women, this is it. This is your last chance to be right with God. And God did not owe them that. God doesn't owe Absalom one more opportunity to repent. He often grants it, How many in New Orleans, in Louisiana, in Mississippi right now are recognizing this is the day of salvation. This is the day. Today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your hearts. And David recognizes this is it. There is no this is the day left for Absalom, and he weeps. The third thing, what we see here, and from his command, is this unholy attitude that David wanted the kingdom of God to be delivered and Absalom to be spared. He wanted things to go well for the kingdom, but also for there to be no consequences for his son, How on earth did he expect the men to follow that command? Spare the life of the rebel leader. How how would they even do that? We do not get to have that. We don't get to have both uh, deliverance and for sin to be ignored. Sin must be answered. I said at least three things, and this I'll just stop with this. For the third time, David is now witnessing the results of his sin, isn't he? This is the third son to die, in one sense, because of David's own sin, as Nathan prophesied. The sword will not depart from your own house. David, understandably, says, why why can't I just die? Now, it's obviously not just David's sin. It's Absalom's sin. Absalom set himself up against the Lord and the Lord's anointed. And we really don't have to, time to unpack chapter 19 here, because, but suffice it to say that the Bible is full of showing us that there are very good people who make very bad, who sin very badly. But the Bible is also not afraid to show us. There's some people that we would categorize as the bad people who actually are making the right decision. Was Joab right to go against the king's command? Well, in one sense, the king's command was a bogus command. And to save Israel required the death of Israel's enemy. And so he was right. And he's right to chastise David. And we look at all of this and we're amazed by it. And we see that the only way that Israel could be delivered, the only way that God's people could be delivered was if the rebel were killed. And we recognize that and we say, well, that's the reality of life and justice and sin must be paid for. And yet we look at that and we realize, but that's not how God delivered his people from eternal death. Because you and I are those rebels. We are Absalom. Or at least were. What we deserved was death. And what happened was the king himself died. Jesus himself hanged on a tree, suspended between heaven and earth, pierced through his hands and feet, dying but not dead, finished off by the king's soldiers, and then thrown into a pit with a stone rolled over it. Abject humiliation. Absolute sign of curse and rejection. Exactly what you and I deserve for our rebellion, Jesus took on for us. Became the curse and rejection for us so that we might belong to him, so that we might be a part of his kingdom, so that we might worship Christ alone. I pray that you and I would seize each day as an opportunity to repent, as an opportunity to serve and trust Jesus, our King. That we would seize each opportunity with our neighbors to speak with them, with our coworkers, with our family members. Today is the day of salvation. You are not owed anything beyond this day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you. You are our king whom we had rebelled against and rejected, and yet you took on the curse for us. You bore the wrath of God in our place. We who are so much more like Absalom than anyone else, although often like David, we want our sins to be paid for, put our sins to be okay at the same time. God, forgive us. God, deliver us and heal us. In Jesus' name, amen.